uh, today what we'd like to do is to discuss a little bit more of what Pastor Dan has been teaching uh, as we go through the Bible chronologically. So what that looks like for us here at First Baptist Divine, uh, back in January, we started a series, uh, teaching series, led by Pastor Dan, uh, leading us through the Bible from Genesis all the way to Revelation. And we will finish that on December 25th, if I'm not mistaken. So Pastor Dan, why don't you tell us more about that particular decision, uh, because it's difficult to do that as a preaching pastor, the lead pastor, uh, to lead people from A to Z. So why don't you tell us more about that? As far as the um, the leading or the desire or the intention, um, the, the, the conviction uh, on my part is, frankly, not enough folks understand what the message of the Bible is actually communicating. Um, you know, one of the things that we are very guilty of is just simply opening the Bible and dropping into any any chapter and verse somewhere along the way. Um, there are 66 books in the Bible, um, many chapters, three quarters of a million words. Um, if we were to try to read it from beginning to end, it would take something on the order of three and a half days or just about three days to accomplish that for the average reader at, at the average pace. Um, and yet we, we just drop in somewhere along the way um, and we read a couple of verses. And um, that that pattern of engaging with scripture is not necessarily an unhealthy thing or something that um, an individual reader of the Bible can't find application for life or an encouragement to, to go along the way. Um, right. But, but it, it is something that's quite, um, quite unlike our natural approach to any other book. Um, you know, if we were reading anything else, uh, any, not comparing scripture to this, but if we were to just pick up any novel off of a bookshelf, we wouldn't just open to page 113 and read a couple of sentences and then go about our day. Um, we, in fact, we, we may find something um, illuminating. We may find something encouraging. We may find something intriguing in that approach, but we'd have no sense for what's actually going on within the story that the author of the novels inviting us to engage with. Um, and so the, the approach that we've undertaken this year is to read the Bible chronologically. It's not to say that doing so is um, the best approach to reading the Bible or accomplishing that goal in a year, uh, but the intention is to try to invite uh, individuals to begin to engage with the story that God has given to us about himself and the story that God has been um, uh, presenting to his creation throughout this concept that we know as time to explain who he is and what his purposes are with creation from the beginning of time through the conclusion of time. Um, you and I, Carlos, find ourselves somewhere between the two uh, at the, uh, the beginning and the end, right? Um, yes. And so we're we're uh, intending to to approach 
the story of God that has been given to us by God himself uh, to, to enable the reader of the Bible to understand what God's been doing through this age and what he intends to do to bring time when he brings time to an end and uh, and brings the, a conclusion to uh, this age, so to say. Um, and so with that, it's intended to be something that's a form of encouragement, uh, something that would actually bring clarity and continuity to the message that, that God's communicating with Scripture um, and, and bring a more comprehensive understanding to um, just what God is intending to do. Um, where, where without that approach, every once in a while at least, um, you kind of lose that sense of what's going on. Um, I, uh, I, I've taught Sunday school classes, and I, I am always an advocate for, um, particularly at, at January, trying to, to catch on to the, the New Year's resolution, re- resolution thing. Like, you know, guys and gals, this would be a great time for you to set out a goal to read the Bible in a year. Great. How do I read it? Give me a reading plan. And I remember, um, I remember uh, with one class, I gave them the the McShane reading plan uh, because that was one that, and it is one that I personally favor. Um, But I remember in January, like, uh, because it's usually something like an Old Testament reading, a a a New Testament reading, a Psalm, and a Proverb, and you wind up reading the old the Old Testament through once, the New Testament through twice, and I think maybe the Psalms and the Proverbs twice. I can't remember. Uh, just uh, off the top of my head. But anyway, the, in January, you're dropping into Ezra. Um, and that really discouraged some folks because Ezra is not something that is a book that's often preached from or taught from, at least in my uh, experience in the church. Um, right. And so without that familiarity, you're dropping into a, a book of the Bible that's talking about the covenant people of God returning to Jerusalem and they're interested in rebuilding the temple. And you're kind of like, well, what happened? What's going on? How did we get to this point, right? How did we get here? And why are we starting here? Um, right. And so if you don't have the, the framework of what's gone before and what's coming after and you drop into a book like that, it doesn't make sense. And it's in the right. same way that you and I don't naturally, if we're picking up, um, oh, uh, uh, my girls went to school for the, for the first time this, uh, of the school year today. And we filled out this chalkboard thing and, um, you know, it's supposed to be like, hold this chalkboard up and take a picture first day of school. And one of them, uh, one of the things is my favorite book is, and my youngest daughter, her favorite book series is the one and only Ivan. And so it's not like if, if my daughter were to pick up any one of the one and only Ivan books, she wouldn't just be opening it and like to the middle of it and be like, this is awesome. What's meaningful is the reading it from beginning to end. And so that's, that's the idea with the chronological plan. It it is something um, in terms of the, the approach that that can become more taxing on the, the, the teacher and the preacher uh, because one of the things that uh, I think w- with what you were alluding to that I've committed to um, in encouraging the church to not only read, but to to continue to read throughout the year 
is Sunday to Sunday, uh, the messages mm-hmm. that I bring are drawn from texts that come from the prior week's reading. Um, right. So, for example, today is Monday, August 22nd. On Sunday, August 21st, I brought a message that uh, that uh, from the text of Jeremiah chapter 37. And that would have uh, come from the, the prior week's reading, all with the intention of as folks are continuing to read and maybe there are some things that are less clear, um, the, the desire would be to offer a, a biblical teaching and exhortation um, based off of at least an element of what they read from the, from the prior week. So that, right. that does become uh, challenging for the preacher because uh, for, especially for someone like me who um, would much prefer to commit to a, um, a style of preaching that's more in line with like a Lectio Continua, right? So starting a book and finishing a book of the Bible um, and preaching it all the way through, whether it's a verse by verse or pericope by pericope, what have you. Um, right. You don't have that continuity because um, you, the, the readings are, are, are not um, necessarily coherent in sticking with a book uh, week right. to week is something or even day to day. Um, so it does become more challenging, um, not because there's not the divine author's voice that's underlying it all. Um, but through the, the means through which God inspired his, his human authors, um, you, there's a whole lot of difference between the way Jeremiah speaks and the way that Ezekiel speaks or the way Daniel uh, records or what have you. So um, it creates, it creates some, some, some extra exegetical uh, 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 fun to do week to week as you're just kind of refreshing yourself with what's going on in, in each book. Yeah, and, and, and we've seen that through the teaching series that we've had, uh, not only with the Bible, but also the, the printed materials that we have developed uh, for some of our classes. One of the things that is very memorable for me, uh, witnessing um, the preaching through the Bible, um, I believe it was back in January, early February, and we are dealing with a very touchy subject. Uh, do you remember that sermon, Dinah? Oh yeah, yeah. From Genesis. So we're dealing, yeah, we're dealing with rape and incest, and we're dealing with the self, uh, selfish and very fleshly desires of one of uh, uh, what is it? Um, not David's children. I'm thinking of another instance of sad situation. Uh, who, who was it? Um, Abraham's children? No. Gosh, I can go back and look, but the I remember the outline of that message um, was speaking to the voices that are in that text. Um, so right. it was inviting us to um, to to consider the perspective of this horrific incident based off of the voices that were speaking. Right. So you have the voices of the brothers who are reacting to this enrage. Right. Um, you have the voices of the father or the voice of the father, I should say, who's reacting to this really in a very passive way. Um, and then you have the voice or, or really the, the voice of the one who's been offended most personally that um, that doesn't speak at all. 
Right. And I, I remember reading that text and just, it was Dinah's lack of presence, um, that actually screamed throughout the text for me. Like there, there's, there's nothing recorded, uh, by Moses from, from what she, um, might've been speaking in response to that. Um, right. so it was, uh, it was absolutely a, a, a challenging message. And it's one that, that, uh, Certainly, I mean, talk about Ezra not being preached. I don't think anyone gets uh, a message from from that chapter of Genesis very often. Um, but the the why why that's why that's something that is commendable, not not as a personal pat on the back, but it's something that uh, that is commendable to any exegete is the, the the sheer fact that particularly in the United States, I don't know the statistics outside of the US, but in the United States, one in five people in our pews are, are uh, victims of sexual abuse. Um, think about that, 20% of the people. You had 10 people in your congregation, two of them have been, a, have, have been a victimized in some way. You know, if you have 100, there's 20. It's just, it's um, astounding when you begin to quantify it um, right? and how relevant that is to our present day um, in, in offering the uh, perspectives on the way that we respond to those great offenses and those most sensitive and personal things, um, as well as illuminating where Christ is in the midst of that. Yes. And so I think with that in mind, I would like us to spend some time, if, if, you, if we could, looking at yesterday's text. So we went to Jeremiah, right? Chapter 37. And right. the title of the message is Take Heart. And so just by going back to the text, which I also took notes uh, of your sermon, um, we see that there's uh, you take a notes. warning. I do. I do. Wow. The very first the very first thing that happens is I, I carry one of these bad boys into the church and I just yeah. that's that's my form of applause. I take notes. <laughs> OK. <laughs> yeah. So I, and I, I don't know if I ever to... I don't I don't know if I ever want to read those. You, I mean, that I could be really illuminating. Like, wow, he stinks today. Or is he reading the Bible? Or yeah, there's <laughs> any number of things that could wind well, up in in your notes. Well, I will say this: they're not exegetical. They're not preaching notes. They're more like highlights of the of the message. So okay. I don't think you have to worry about finding any negatory uh, or negative. Uh, Remarks on your sermon, uh, on your sermons, which, by the way, I, I think you're a, ph a phenomenal preacher, but that's just me. So. Um, I, I will tell you, if if they become preaching notes, because I'm a millennial, I would require green ink, because if you started using red pen, that would be too <laughs> deflating. And, you know, my my millennial sensitivity wouldn't be able to tolerate that at all. <laughs> OK, we'll, we'll use uh, I think okay. it was. um John MacArthur's uh, executive director for Grace to You, who uses a flare pen when he does his sermons. I'll use a flare pen to, flare to pen. highlight your notes. Okay. <laughs> oh, heavens. So Note yesterday you did. Google flare pen. Sorry. Okay. Yeah, whatever that is. Um, so one of the things I really like about yesterday's message, number one, is in, in the way of, of our worship practice here, we stand up for the reading of the word and then we sit down. 
uh, a way of paying honor and homage to the author. But what I really like about just going through it chronologically is that we are looking at Jeremiah, who is called a weeping prophet, not necessarily weeping, but lamenting. Right. The end is near almost, uh, and you are too obstinate to get it. And so you, you take us through about what a little over 20 verses. uh, Yeah. 21 verses. Yeah. So the entirety of the chapter. Yeah. Right. And so basically what's happening is Jeremiah says, you're, you're, you're trusting in the wrong source of hope. Right. And so God is saying, you've been judged and all you have to do is accept it. Uh, and so yet in the middle of all of that, you managed to take us to a place of hope. So why don't you walk us through some of that? And, and especially as you spend time preparing for this, which I can vouch personally for his preparation time. Uh, you, you take time, you, you read the text multiple times and you engage with it. So how is it that you, you highlight the hope in the text for a community today where reading the text just in a cursory manner, you would think, why, why should we take heart? Well, I think, I think you have to acknowledge, though we've been reading this chronologically, um, we do have to we do have to acknowledge how Jeremiah has um, has seen fit to to compile this, or how God has led Jeremiah to compile this. And so, I mean, this is not novel, um, but chapter thirty seven follows chapter thirty six, right? Right. Um, and so, though in this reading plan that we've been speaking about, this is something we've read two weeks ago. Um, on the heels or coming into 37, we've, we have to remind ourselves of the fact that Jeremiah, a decade prior, is preaching about all that's been going on, still preaching this message of repentance, um, and is declaring, thus saith the Lord, in the midst of this. And so this, this word that's proclaimed becomes a word that's written. And this word that's written is then delivered to the then king of Judah, Jehoiakim, who upon hearing the word read back to him, begins to take a knife and just shred the word of God apart. Um, So it's sort of in that, not sort of, it's really in that context that you can kind of begin to see leaping off the page uh, of the Bible, um, the, the extension to this day. Um, where the where culture w- continues to attack the word of God, and culture continues to pick apart the word of God, and and this isn't critiques at, at, at any anything that would come under the banner of Christianity at this point. It's really the 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 non Christian um, uh, populace that I'm speaking to right now that would would completely be dismissive at the suggestion that there is a divine entity or divine being um, and right. that he would see so fit to to as to inspire individuals to record a message such as this. Um, and so you 
you see these cultural movements at their whim um, who are who are picking and choosing or even um, reframing what's going on in Scripture to suit their need. Um, I'm reminded of uh, I mean, something that's occurred in the last couple of weeks that has some notoriety is the death of Anne Heche. Um, an actress um, who at one point in her life was uh, was known to be in a relationship with Ellen DeGeneres. Um, now, there's contention in, in the family as to what's actually transpired, uh, but many probably don't know that Anne Heche's mother is a Christian author. And one of the most prominent books that she's written is uh, in, in conjunction with a, uh, a former homosexual man. Um, and what they the the thrust of their text together, I don't have it in front of me. I have to Google it. I have it on my shelf over there. Um, the thrust of their text of their of their volume is intending to bring awareness to how the at least the the the, the lesbian and gay uh, communities will actually try to to reposition scripture from what's clearly stated about lifestyle and uh, to actually say that this is not how, how the orthodox understanding of scripture in applying to sexual ethics has been misunderstood. Um, right. And so therefore um, there, there's actually in their estimation, not Haitian, the, the, her co-author, but the, the communities um, in their estimation, a, um, a scriptural supporter or a God authored support for how they're living. Um, right. And so when, when you see a, a 3000 year old King or 26, 2700 uh, years ago, King cutting up the word of God, that's still happening. Right. Um, right. Still, still very much happening. So it, when we're coming into chapter 37, you even begin to see the fulfillment that now even, you know, from chapter 36, verse 32 into chapter 37, verse one, there's now 10 years that's elapsed. And in that decade that's elapsed in time, Jehoiakim's no longer king. And that's been promised by God at the end of chapter 36. In fact, no one from his line is king anymore. That was promised. So, you see the fulfillment of what God has declared and spoken, even from verse to verse, if you're, and you got to be really focusing on that. Um, and that God has said, no one from your line is going to be, no one from your line is going to reign anymore. So now we have a supplanted person in power um, who is more or less doing the same thing as a predecessor of his. Now, there's not a, an invitation to to jump into um, a scene where there's a, a a cauldron of fire burning and he's just slicing and dicing. But you, it's very evident as we come into chapter 37 and begin to read that Zedekiah has been hearing the message of Jeremiah for just as long as anybody in Judah. Um, but in hearing that, it, it doesn't change a thing. Um, right. And so... The what you what I began to work through in the reading of the entirety of chapter 37 um, is really trying to to discern what is God intending for us uh, to come to an understanding succinctly or distinctly um, is almost like a, a bottom line or a one line about 
what's being said in, in this instance in 21 verses. And so you still have this theme of, of obedience and relationship to the word of God. Um, but even more so, it's, uh, it's obedience to the word of God that even when the word of God seems crazy. Right. Right. Or it seems outlandish because what what Jeremiah has been preaching is, you know, Judah, y'all have not been obedient. You have been really rebellious. And as a consequence to your rebellion, judgment is to fall upon you. And that judgment will come at the hand of the pagan nation of Babylon. Now, this has been a message proclaimed for decades by Jeremiah. And in that time that's transpired, Babylon has been amassing an army. Yes, they have had um, had sieges in, from against the, the northern parts of Jerusalem. Um, but really, there's been no like main thrust that has just knocked down the, the gates and overrun the city. And so Jerusalem and 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 Judah at all, they're they're sort of in denial, right? Because the word of right. God continues to be proclaimed, um, but they're not seeing it with their with their human eyes actually be fulfilled. And so they begin to to kind of survey things from a very humanistic approach. Well, the defenses right. of Judah, they seem to be strong. They've been repelling these. Um, they have supposed support from an ally from the West who's coming in, that being Egypt. So you kind of see these things coming off of the text and you certainly begin to translate that to our modern day. Um, right. You know, we... We, we preach a, a, a message a, a, that's that's Christ's message, that's the gospel that um, speaks to the, the grace of God, uh, that it's by grace through faith that we can be saved. Well, that element of the, the grace that would have God take on flesh and go to a cross and bear the iniquity of, of man for all time upon himself, the proper response to grace of that nature is to repent of the iniquity that even necessitated the grace for him to go to a cross um, and to trust upon that, that God who went and was nailed to the cross for you. Um, right. It's the same. The, it's the same premise here. You, you see the, 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 the grace of God and the, the continued provision of the nation, yet that continued grace and long suffering continues to be rejected. Right. Zedekiah is none different. Um, and in leading this nation, he continues to reject the word of God, just as Jehoiakim had done. He's not leading the nation in obedience right. to the word. In fact, he's leading them in disobedience. And so you, you come to this, this overall uh, theme, if you will, of the, the call of the, the person of faith is, is to stay true to the word. Because what you what you see going on through the text is um, Jeremiah has proclaimed this message yet again um, to, to Zedekiah. He's offered the warning that the Chaldeans or the Babylonians are coming and you get the whatever from Zedekiah. 
And um, Jeremiah is probably then operating as you continue on in the text saying, well, this thing's going to fall. I better start tidying up some personal affairs. And so he begins to go do that. And he winds up getting um, thrown in prison over the whole thing because he's claimed to be a, a dissenter, uh, someone who's who's uh, who's giving up on the whole um, on the whole covenant people thing. He's thrown in jail over it. Um, Jeremiah could have changed the message and could have changed his tune, yet he continues to 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 be faithful to what the word of God has uh, has been spoken through him and to him and never changes the tune. So you, you have this, this overall theme of stay true. Um, and I, so in that, in that overwhelming picture, um, then I saw two natural divisions in the text and that was from verses one through 10 and then 11 through 21. Um, and I, I just broke those apart under, under two headings. Right. So you had, um, the call in that first section of the text um, to stay faithful to the word. And then um, that call in the second in the second part of the chapter, which is um, evidenced by Jeremiah's imprisonment, the, the ease at that point when when the world's really putting it to you to, to change the message or just to, to, to deny Yahweh at this point. Right. Right. Stand firm. So if we're going to stay true to the word of God in the midst of what's going on as the world applies its pressure, we have to stay faithful and we have to stand firm. Right. One of the things that I really liked about, uh, and I'm reading out of the Legacy Standard Bible, um, I, I like verse 9 and 10 as the beginning of this transition to a new block says, Thus says Yahweh, do not deceive yourselves, saying the Chaldeans will surely go away from us, for they will not go. For even if you had struck down the entire military force of the Chaldeans who were fighting against you, and there were only wounded men remaining among them, each man in his tent, they would rise up and burn this city with fire. Uh, it, it, it says something about the veracity of God's word, whether good or bad, when it's decreed to his people. When God is the one that is saying, enough is enough. Uh, even when we don't like the answer. Uh, and I think we even see that in our prayer life. Uh, for example, when we trust that by saying specific prayers or by saying certain formulas in our prayer, we can twist God's arm into doing things. Uh, and that's a very applicable thing that I can see uh, just in in our spiritual walk as modern day disciples. Um I also think one of the things from yesterday, and this is one of the notes. Now, it's not a point verbatim, but it's something that, that, you, that came um, as part of your, um, your message. The God-fearing uh, will come to God with repentance. He's not going to come with a haughty, uh, lifted-up heart, but he's going to be repentant. And God's message does not uh, change. It's a constant thing. And that is where you highlighted to the congregation that four decades of ministry, four decades for Jeremiah, and the message never changed, which is something that in, mo in, mo in modern times, especially here in the U.S., you see pastors changing the meaning, changing, saying, well, we didn't know that. They didn't know that back then, uh, but we know better now. Um, 
I think something that is was also highlighted in the Sunday school lesson that went very well hand in hand with this coming out of Ezekiel is the gospel. Uh, chapter 16, the gospel according to Ezekiel, where at the end of uh, the chapter, which I believe is Ezekiel 16, um, God inspires Ezekiel to write, um, and I will, and you will have your, and your something to the effect of, and you will remain silent because you will be ashamed uh, in light of my mercy, in light of in light of my work accomplished for you, you will be ashamed, which connecting that particular feeling, that's repentance. The repentance that leads us to, to walk with God. And so I personally found that very well, enriching. Yeah, because what does grace do? What does grace properly understood do? It shuts you up. And what I mean by that is it's, it's, not, to, it's not to just silence a voice um, and when I say it that way. It literally takes your breath away when right. you understand or have been in the presence of divine grace. Um, to understand, to, to even begin to have an appreciation for the depths of God's grace. There are no words, right? Because, right. because in order to have come to that place of repentance, that means that there's an, a, at least some sense for the, the sin that's been committed, the, the, the transgression, the rebellion that's gone on. Um, and yet, however much we've put in that bucket, God's grace is greater. Right. But it's what we've put in that bucket that nailed the Son of God to the cross. And when right. when you when you recognize or have that illumination, right? That it's a um, Paul uses this language about the uh, the light of the gospel shown into our hearts in Second Corinthians four. Um, when you when you have that that illumined to you by the Spirit of God, the the depth of your sin and the, the even greater magnitude of mercy and grace. Right. What can you say? Right. I think you are. I mean, it, it, you're there, there's nothing to say. There's nothing to say. But I think tears say it. Right. And they're 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 not all tears of um, they're not all tears of, of lament. Right. In fact, I think that there's there's that those tears of repentance our lament and joy at the same time. Right. Um, how, how those two get mixed, but that's what it is. Um, right. And it's, there, there are no words to, to speak. Right. I think uh, there, and, 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 and please correct me if I may uh, speak out of term, but in, in light of the, the message that was brought yesterday to our, our congregation here, just to hear the, uh, some of the, the things that we can trust upon rather than trusting God uh, and, and how commonplace they can be. So, for example, uh, some of the examples I believe you gave were we trust in our bank account. 
We trust in our investments. Sure. We trust in uh, our relationships and our connections. Uh, I think one that's very important in particular right now because of the the political cycle that it is, um, is when we trust in a political structure or when we trust in the power and might of any given nation, uh, similar to Jeremiah, to the kingdom of Judah in Jeremiah's time. Um, and, and we are being told, what are you doing? Um, I don't know if you have any thoughts to share on that as to how we as Christians can be people who have a first allegiance to the word of God and to the, and to the savior of the world and how that makes us better citizens of, of, of any other nation that we may live in. Well, be, before we get to the, to the better citizen comment. Um, sure. I, the proper relationship and understanding of the Christian is, and you see this um, particularly in the New Testament, um, but we are citizens of where? When we have been born of the cities, when uh, we've been right. born of the spirit, uh, different language uh, goes in, right? We've been adopted. Uh, we become heirs. But also you see Peter talking about citizens, citizenry. We're citizens of where? The kingdom of heaven. The kingdom of heaven. Right. So we are first and foremost, we in, in, in our, in, in being saved, we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. That's our first allegiance, right? Um, the, the whole, the whole intention of Hebrews is to two things, really. One is to speak to the, um, preeminence of Christ as being Amen. greater than everything else, right? Right. Um, and then, I would say, including Caesar, including yes. Caesar, yes, including Caesar, but also to speak to, um, to how we honor him through our allegiance to him. Right. Um, so he's done this, be faithful, um, in every way. So our first order of priority, this doesn't matter where we are in the world. Right. If we're Chinese, if we're Russian, if we're Ugandan, if we're American, if we're Colombian, if we are if we have been redeemed by Jesus Christ. We are first and foremost his. Right. Right. We've been we've been adopted sons of the father. We are. He is our elder brother. We are citizens of his kingdom. Right. That's first and foremost. So when the people of God gather together and assemble to worship the Son of God through the power of the Spirit of God, we are a gathering of, uh, of citizens of the kingdom that has come but has not fully arrived. Right. And we are bearing witness as a testimony to that kingdom, which is coming, and we are serving as ambassadors to that kingdom. So right. at First Baptist Church Divine, every Sunday morning, there's a the, the embassy doors are open to the kingdom of God. Right? right. That that's that's a, that's the embassy of the kingdom. So no no other flag to, ever gets flown at any geopolitical state's 
uh, embassy, right? Like, I'm not in the UK embassy and expecting to, there to be a Chinese flag flying at it, right? You just, it doesn't make sense. Right. So when we gather in the embassy, we're there worshiping him. Now, we're worshiping our king, and we're, um, we're being encouraged, empowered, um, convicted. We're being whatever may be going on in the course of that worship service to better serve and communicate the message of our king as ambassadors to him, to this lost and dying world. Right. Um, so, to, so having level set that, how that affects us as um, our, our secondary commitments or loyalties um, well, that certainly has an impact because we are, because we have been born of the spirit and because all of the, the fruit of the spirit can be poured out through us, right? Um, we have the divine ability to have moral responses to the ethical challenges of our days. Um, We have the divine given ability to properly respond within, within a society because God has enabled us to do that. So as, as citizens of the kingdom, whenever we talk about citizen citizenry on any of the kingdoms of earth, certainly the Christian has, is, is the voice is the model of what a citizen of any of the kingdoms of earth should look like, right? Because we're living or aspiring to live that kingdom that is yet to be, yet to fully come in this world. So, um, I mean, for me, I get picked on a lot, but I don't even speed. Like I, I don't, I don't intend to, if it's 70 miles an hour, I'm going 70. If it's 75, I'm going 75. Um, my wife picks on me because she says in Texas, those are just suggested notices. Um, but it's, it's, it's with that. And by the way, I'm not calling her salvation into question. Um, but, but I, I am, I am wanting to say though, that we understand the moral obligation that we have to, um, the, the nations or kingdom. I'm using that interchangeably right now, um, in which we reside in, in, in an earthly setting. Uh, scripture tells us to support um, our governments because it's God who's placed them over us. Um, but at that, we we model that the, the one who has saved us in that kingdom, in that structure. Um, so it absolutely um, changes or offers a paradigm shift to the unregenerate who's also living and operating within that structure. Right. And, and, and I realized that, uh, again, one of the another of the connective tissues for our worship service was the reading of uh, the word, which usually comes from the opposite end of uh, the Bible. So usually what you do uh, is if we are in the Old Testament, there is a reading that comes from the New Testament. And I think yesterday's reading was captivating because it, it, it highlights the tension between one who follows Christ and the Christ follower living in a world that's not the kingdom. <laughs> um, uh, what is it? Uh, uh, if the world hates you, remember that it first hated me. 
and hated so me and, before it hated you. Right. And if the world loves you, well, it loves you because you're not, you're not mine. You're not of me. Right. Yeah. And so one of the things that, again, one of the things I love about verse by verse, pericope by pericope, book by book teaching, it level sets everything so that people like you and like me, we cannot just say, well, this is what the Bible says. And, and we make it our, our, our own version with only the, the fluffy, nice feeling things. And we just kind of push aside the things that we don't need our people. We don't want our people to know this because, you know, it's, it's going to make them run away, uh, type of thing. Um, and so to me, I think that's, that's encouraging because the people sitting on the pew are going to see the importance of grappling with the, the difficult sayings in the Bible, especially when it's attributed to Christ, who says, um, remember the word I said unto you, the servant is not above the master. Right. And so um, to me, that, that, that was very um, compelling, intriguing, and just it's something that just captivated me for, for the service. Knowing that as Christians, we're going to face opposition, persecution, um, and also negative consequences for doing the right thing. But the beauty yeah. of it all, go ahead. I, I mean, and I, I didn't really even enumerate this, but, and I realize we struggle at times with applying persecution in a country that still has some semblance of a first amendment. Um, right. but that persecution may not necessarily look like your life being in danger, but right. that, that sense of persecution can affect biases with others in whom you have network or relationship, right? Your workplace, right. your, the students in school, um, your, who, your own family, you, your own family. Um, yes, it has impact in social media. Um, when you when you hold fast to the word of God and not that you're not that you're looking to just go pick fights or go be this legalist is saying, you know, man, you didn't tow the line. It's not so much that. Um, right. But when when there is egregious error or there's just actually an intended encouragement of the faith from the word of God, you may not be well welcomed or well-received when you begin to be an advocate or live out that ambassador's call for Christ, even in right. your, your, the uh, representation of your digital self, right? Uh, right. That's not going to be well-received. No, it's not. Um, as a matter of fact, uh, just in the course of life, um, and some of it not that long ago, where I think we can we can say openly we have family that we contend with, not in a in a bad way, but we simply know that we have, um, we have it, it to show this. We have a standard to follow, and we we choose not to deviate from that because we know that we have an audience of one, um, and I think that that's something for uh, any of our church members, anyone who comes to visit, anyone who. Uh, just comes by uh, during 
a Sunday or a Wednesday and they're on their way to someplace else. Uh, but they say, hey, we want to go to church. To know that um, we're not going to be deviating from thus saith the Lord. Right. And not to say, thus saith the Lord according to Dan or thus saith the Lord according to Carlos or anyone else. It's just simply, let me tell you what the Bible says. And if you don't like it, it's okay. Because let me tell you, uh, I'm only reading the mail to you. I'm not the one who wrote it. Uh, that's a quote by uh, a quote uh, from Vaudy Bacham from one of multiple of his ser- sermons and also a quote uh, for, attributed also to John MacArthur, uh, who says, hey, I'm just a mailman. I deliver the mail. I don't write it. So I think that's something that says a lot about the type of spiritual care we want to provide to our people uh, in pointing them to the word, let the word do the heavy lifting. And then we just simply say, the truth is here. Um, I, one, one last question for you. Okay. Um, simply because we're going now on 50 minutes. So um, as we look into how to better apply the sermon, take heart. As we look into the lesson between Judah and the kings trusting Egypt and the word of the Lord saying, even, even the wounded men from the army would have overtaken you at my command. How can we, in a culture that is very much looking at multiple places to look for hope, uh, multiple places to have a sense of um, personhood and uh, a sense of security for the future, how can we encourage those who are listening to this to hold fast to the, and to practice the truths of Scripture? This is this is where it's as crazy as as Jeremiah saying, you know, I've been saying it, but the Babylonians are coming. Um, this is where for for you and I, in the midst of what we're in, we have to each seek to apply um, an understanding of how does the resurrection of Jesus Christ affect this. Right. Um, and so let me unpack that for a second. Um, sure. Because the, the, what you see going on in the text is really the collapse of a society. Um, it's the collapse of a culture. It's the collapse of a people. This isn't just a spanking from right. God. This is a literal death, Right. They're, they're right. going to be, um, they're going to be, they're, all of their buildings, their structures, their places of worship, their art, all of this is going to be burned and obliterated. Right. The, the best and the most prominent, um, though it's not at this point yet, as the church has been reading this year, the, the smartest, the brightest, the best looking, they're all going to be drawn out of the land. And uh, they're all going to be enculturated in the ways of um, the the invading armies, right? So um, Babylon will soon be overtaken by Assyria. And so there's much still for us to understand what's going on in the grand narrative and the movement throughout history. 
Um, but there's going to be an attempt to erase the culture, um, to forget really who they are and what God has done. And you see through through that continuing narrative that there's that shining um, little 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 light in Daniel um, who kind of perseveres through it all. And you continue to kind of right. see that that movement uh, continuing on faithfulness. Um, and Daniel is remembering God's deliverance from generations before. Right. right. He's remembering Yahweh who who had done a new thing and leading. Uh, a, a nation oppressed out of Egypt, a God who went before them and divided an ocean and led them through it and then destroyed an army. A right. God who not just led people through a desert for 40 years because of their stubbornness, but also made their clothes to, to persevere. They didn't have to replace the, any of the leather on their shoes. Um, so he's remembering the faithfulness of this God. And so he in turn is faithful to that God. Right. Um, so you and I, how do we live this out? It's to to cling to the truth of what the the essence of the gospel is. A very very simplified. It's what's it's what Paul tells the Corinthians that Christ died for sin in accordance with the scriptures. That he was buried and on the third day he rose in accordance with the scriptures. We have to embrace that truth. We also have to embrace that Jesus Christ is a crucified king. In other words, he's a king who who did not come on a white stallion with a shiny um, shield and sword. But he is a king who came that was meek and mild, that right. spoke truth in love but wasn't about the ways of the world in which victory is sought and proclaimed. Um, the, the kingdom in which he preached talked about the inversion of the way that the world operates, right? He talks about how the first will be last and the last will be first. Um, it's, it's this understanding of that because Jesus has died and because Jesus has arisen, all of all of what's evil in this world has been and will be permanently defeated and erased and all will be made new. Where you and I and any other disciple of Christ would seek to apply this text is not clinging to the power systems of this world. Now, it's not to say that we shouldn't be um, participating in these things. It shouldn't be, it's, it's not to say that we shouldn't be trying to affect and do the most good and to live out this kingdom before others. It's not to say that we, we take this absolute, uh, um, you know, disengaged approach, but it's also right. to accentuate the fact that that's not our hope. We're not going to have any human led government or any human-led organization, or any human-led entity that is perfectly moral, right. that is going to have any redeeming quality in and of itself. Every last bit of it is going to fail. Right. But the crucified king has not and will not. And so the 
the, the way that we live this out is understanding, surrendering to that king who has rose from the dead. Um, and in following him, here's his call that says that we are to pick up our crosses and deny ourselves. Right. So we're not, you know, we're not in a ticker tape parade with the confetti falling as we go around the right. streets of wherever home is. But we weep and we lament the ills of our day, knowing that we are those who, who we are not those who grieve without hope. As Paul right. tells the Thessalonians, we have a hope, right. but our hope is not in the present. Our hope is not in the power systems of this world. Our hope is in the one who's ascended and is returning. Amen. Um, he's the one that, uh, that he, he's the only one in whom we have a true and lasting hope. That was the, the as challenging as it was for Judah to hear, you've got to go through exile to return. Well, the same is true for whomever's listening here. You have to go through dying to self to have a proper understanding where you can come to a place of repentance for what you've done against God that would send God incarnate to a cross so that you might have faith in him to save you. Right. Amen. Well, I think this has been a wonderful time just getting to understand where we've come from all the way back in January and then leading us up to this point and also just kind of walking through yesterday's sermon and or sermons because they're the same two services. Um, but also to see how we can apply the truths of the Bible, especially the difficult passages and how we can make it a building block as we seek to honor the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. <laughs>